1: This episode's interview is with my favorite parish priest in all of America, Father Robert Altier. He makes some incredibly good points about masculinity, fatherhood, and the feminization of the liturgy. Are you struggling to lose weight no matter how much you diet and exercise? Turns out it's not your fault. A 2022 study published in Nature Medicine of 52,000 women and men found just one factor in every overweight man and woman, low brown epidose tissue levels. They also found in skinny people, high brown epidose tissue levels. Brown epidose tissue, also known as brown fat, isn't fat at all. It's not a fat store, but a fat shrinker. Its brown color comes from its densely packed mitochondria, which works 24 7 to burn calories from your fat stores and the foods you eat into pure natural energy. Even though the brown fat makes up a fraction of your weight, it can burn up to 300 times more calories than any other cell in your body. That's the reason they created Exapure. Exapure is unlike anything you've ever tried or experienced in your life. It's the only product in the world with a proprietary blend of eight exotic nutrients and plants designed to target low brown fat levels, the newly found root cause of your unexplained weight gain. Every tiny increase in brown fat means a huge jump in calorie and fat burning and energy levels. Want to lose weight and keep it off? Go to the show notes for this episode and click on the ExoPure link to find out more. It was a no-brainer that Father Robert Altier should be a guest for Toxic Male Month. This priest is the very epitome of genuine masculinity, a real man, a man's man. This man understands genuine masculinity perfectly. He knows that being a real man is living a life that's sacrificial in its very nature. Just as Christ lived and died for others, so does a real man live that way. Father Altier understands that better than most because living a sacrificial life is not only the duty of a man, but it's the very nature of the priesthood. That's what makes Father such a great priest. We're going to listen to this interview now, but I want to tell you something first. Satan has demonstrated his deep hatred for toxic mail month. With the exception of one interview this month, I had massive technical difficulties with every single interview. That ordinarily doesn't happen. Satan's hatred and interference is the only explanation for the difficulties. I felt inspired with the conception of Toxic Male Month, and apparently Satan's showing me just how right it was to launch this first annual celebration of genuine masculinity. Anyway, let's go ahead and listen to Father Robert Altier, then I'll be back with a few closing comments. Father Robert Altier, welcome back to the Cantankerous Catholic. We're glad to have you on the show. How are you today? I'm
2: doing well, thanks. It's great
1: to be back. How are you doing? Oh, I'm as happy as a tornado in a trailer park. Well, that's doing pretty well then. (laughs) You're tearing it up, huh? Absolutely. (laughs) Father, I realize that you're always running a hot clock, so uh, let's get right down to it. Father, the church dedicates June to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Satan mocks and attacks that by having his perverted minions proclaim June as Gay Pride Month. This is most certainly an outward, visible, diabolical attack on the Sacred Heart and masculinity in general. But it's actually a spiritual war that human eyes can't see would you please comment on that?
2: Well, there are a couple things people have to keep in mind. First of all, remember that it is the incarnation that Satan could not accept. And so the fact that God would actually condescend to become one of us. And so the sacred heart demonstrates that so clearly. Obviously, you know, to, to be a human being, you have to have a heart. And and so if we're going to talk about the heart of Jesus, that is the expression of love in the way that we talk about the heart. That is the mercy of God in human form. Uh, and the, that's where the Lord invites us. He tells us that he is meek, that he is humble of heart, that he invites us when he is on the cross, when he's lifted up from the earth to draw us to himself and particularly, it is that draw when his heart is opened, and it is open in a way that it cannot close. Well, the devil doesn't want that, and so he's going to do anything to try to counter that. And one of the things, and, and you know, perhaps a lot of the people listening may not know this, because it's not the area that they would necessarily be paying attention to, but there, this whole group of of, uh, of of some of the the more radical homosexuals want to try to claim that Jesus was homosexual and the way that they try to point that out is to say well look saint john put his head on jesus chest during the last supper and so that's that's uh, you know a very sensual kind of thing and therefore a very homosexual kind of thing of course what they don't recognize is that they didn't sit on chairs. They were, as it says in scripture, reclining, because that's the way that they would eat. And so, if if they're but basically, you know, up on their elbows, so they're lying on the floor, you know, with their their head rested on their their hand, you know, the only way that Saint John could talk to them is if he leaned back, and uh, and so. So there there was nothing that was inappropriate about that. Obviously, Jesus is God. He isn't going to do anything sinful. But for these people to take that and twist it the way that they did, and and like you said, even in, in your, your question, to be able to say that while these individuals on the human level may not ha- even have a clue that this is the month of the Sacred Heart, Satan certainly does. And he wants to try to, to do everything he can to get people's attention from that, from the true love of God and substitute it with a false kind of love. And in our society where love and sexuality are somehow made the same, you know, then, then we can say, well, see, these two men or these two women, you know, they're in love. They, they love each other. This is why they act this way. And and you know that again would go directly against the heart of Jesus. You think like when Mary Magdalene came, well, she didn't come to our Lord. She was brought to our Lord because they wanted to stone her to death. And and you, know, you see again the mercy and the love of our Lord. He doesn't condemn her. Uh, he he. But then he says, "Go and sin no more." Well, these people want to say that a sin, which is so unnatural that it calls out to heaven for vengeance, they want to say that that's love, that that's, that's real love, that's that's the heart of these people that are, that are loving one another so much. Well, if that's the case, then they are rejecting the heart of Jesus that calls us to repentance, that calls us to conversion, that calls us to draw near to him in true charity and, and to, to go and sin no more. And so again, then you see where, where this point of the devil is, is there doing these things. Like you said, people don't even recognize it. You know, the, um, certainly the spiritual part of what's going on, people don't recognize. Uh, but, but even how the devil has been able to infiltrate not only into the church, but the media and so on. To be able to get people's minds so messed up that, that now we actually have people thinking that all this stuff is normal. This stuff is okay. This is acceptable somehow. And, and so, so that you know, is a total affront to the heart of Jesus. And that's what the devil is most interested in is, is anything that would, uh, that would gravitate against the true charity of the heart of our blessed Lord.
1: I really see Satan using this whole LGBT thing to attack not just masculinity, but the sacred heart. Uh, In fact, Christianity in general, really, because uh, the other day Michael Voris was telling me that the real party night for the gay community is Sunday. You'd think Friday night or Saturday night, but no, not for them. It's Sunday, and there's a reason for that. You know, it's they may not be consciously aware of what they're doing, but Satan certainly is, as you pointed out. This is diabolical.
2: It absolutely is, and and that's and and you know and and sadly, it's because of the media. It is uh, it is gaining lots of traction, and uh, and and that's. That's the part that, that we need to be able to, to try to counter. And and that's, you know, and I, I, I laugh when you call it toxic male month or toxic masculinity, <laughs> but it's real masculinity that we have to be about to be able to counter
1: these things. Amen. What does it
2: mean to be a real man?
1: Amen. And there are so few real men these days. Sadly. Father, many priests and bishops in the church today actually promote LGBT ideologies and an inadequately catechized laity have fallen into their heterodoxy. Many Catholics, even among the six-pack warriors listening, are confused by the bishops and priests promoting these perversions. What can you say to them to help relieve them of their confusion?
2: Well, a couple of things. First of all, remember that uh, that the church has been infiltrated by her enemies. And and one of those groups are these these radical homosexuals. There are there are priests who struggle with their sexual identity or orientation that that want to be good priests and want to serve the church, but there is a group that has infiltrated that wants to destroy the church. And and so so we're dealing with that. Uh, and unfortunately, they've, they've managed to get themselves into a number of positions. You go back, I believe it started in, in 1924, the, uh, the infiltration by, by the homosexuals. And, and th- th- what they did is they, they took the brightest and the best, good looking guys who were gregarious and, and, but, but very intelligent, and they would be able to get the attention of the bishop. They would be promoted and so on. And, and so they are in some very powerful positions and therefore they protect others that are in lower positions and, and they allow all these things to go on and in fact promote it themselves. So, so there's that part that we have to understand and know. Secondly, understand that in the Catholic Church, the only things that are, uh, that, that are doctrinal are in writing. And so the, the Roman, the, you know, the, the Latins had a phrase, non est in scripto, non est in mundo, which literally means if it's not in writing, it's not in the world. So if it's not written down, it doesn't exist. So in other words, church teaching is not made at a news conference. Church teaching is not made in a conversation. Church teaching is not made even in the pulpit. Uh, if it's not written down and officially stated as church teaching, then It's just somebody's opinion or whatever it may be. And and I say that to be able to say that it doesn't matter who says what. The way I've put it for years, I don't care what color cassock somebody wears, if it's the white of a pope, the red of a cardinal, the purple of a bishop, or the black of a priest. If they say something opposite or contrary to what Jesus said and to what the church has always taught, stick with Jesus. And that's the main thing. We we know what the truth is, and we have the truth. It's in writing, and the truth cannot change. The truth for us is a person. It's not just a series of logical propositions that are presented to us, and now we can say, well, hey, we live in the 21st century. Things are different now. Let's get with it. It's like, no, Jesus said, I am the truth, and that truth is divine. That truth cannot change. So that's the beauty of being Catholic and one of the areas of the beauty of being Catholic anyway is that everything is in writing. We can go back to that. If somebody says something that is that just sounds odd, ask them where where where's that in writing? Show me where that is." And I used to point that out to people in the classes that I teach and 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 somebody came up and said, "Yeah, I went and asked the priest after mass because he did this and he said, oh, it's in Vatican II. And he said, okay, show me. Well, it's not really in Vatican II. It's in the code of canon law. Oh, okay, well, show me. Well, it's not really in the code of canon law. It's, it's, it's really in the in, in whatever, you know. He said, well, show me. He goes, well, it was actually just my own opinion. And, you know, so, so this guy just, you know, he was requiring the priest to be able to show where it is in writing that, that this is what the church teaches. And that's Again, one of the beautiful things that is there for all of us. If we have a question, you know, sadly, you should be able to just ask a priest and get an honest answer. And, but, but if you're not sure, look it up. And, and, you know, because everything is in writing that the church teaches. And so people like to say, well, but the Pope said, it's like, yeah, the Pope said something on an airplane or at a news conference that has zero authority, absolute zero. And it's like, yeah, but it was the Pope that said it. It's like, yeah, he did say it, but it's not official church teaching. It has no authority at all. And, and so that's what we have to understand. So so that the main thing is we need to know the truth and we need to maintain the truth. And if somebody says something different from what you know to be the truth of our, of our faith, from what our Lord taught, from what scripture tells us, from what the church has taught for all these years, stick with Jesus. Always, that is going to be the key.
1: Amen. Whenever people say to me, well, the Pope said that, I, I usually respond with something like, well, the Pope burped, too. Does that make it a divine burp? <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's an infallible burp. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, the radical homosexuals you were talking about getting into uh, places of authority, That includes those who wear a mitre, doesn't it?
2: Sadly, it does. Yeah, And and not just them. Remember that back in the 1950s, Bella Dodd had testified before Congress, and she was talking about the infiltration of the church, and she said in the 1950s they already had people in some of the highest positions in the church. So that would imply in the Vatican, that would imply among the, the cardinals and among the bishops, and, and so that is certainly the case with the, the radical homosexuals as well. And, and tragically, they have been very,
1: very successful in what they set out to do. Yes, they have. And unfortunately, we're seeing all of that come to fruition right, right now. now. Exactly.
2: But that, uh, uh, that again, I mean, just a, a secondary point, but, well, one of the things that the, that the men who are listening need to, to be aware of is that over the last 50 or 60 years, we've been w- witnessing what I would call the feminization of the liturgy. And and so men are not going to be attracted to an effeminate liturgy. And the, the, the Mass is the sacrifice of Jesus. I mean, that's about as masculine as you can get, and yet, at the same time, now we want to be prancing around, and we want to be doing liturgical dance, and we want to sing sappy songs, and you know, it's just gross. And and you know, men are not going to be attracted to that. Men aren't going to be attracted to the priesthood if you've got some guy up there prancing around, and you know, they, they they want we and and we need real men. And and I think a lot of priests, you know, one of the things people do not understand about the priesthood. Is that the peer pressure in the priesthood to conform makes the peer pressure that teenage kids go through look like child's play. And I should say, as long as I said that, the peer pressure in the episcopacy for the bishops to conform is way worse than the peer pressure in the priesthood. And, and so, so there is a tremendous pressure to conform to what has become the norm. And so it's, it's really going to require men to be able to befriend their parish priest and encourage him to, to preach the truth, encourage him to stand up, encourage him to, to be a man. Uh, that's, I mean, that's what God created him for. That's what he called him to the priesthood for. But, you know, a lot of men have been, have been beaten down and it's going to take some encouragement for them. To have the courage to stand up and, uh, and and first of all, be a man so that he can be a real priest.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, you you brought up the peer pressure in the episcopacy. I think we saw that very clearly with the Bishop of La Crosse when he canceled out Father Altman and wouldn't say a word to Father grindender Exactly.
2: <laughs> exactly. And then and it just leaves people shaking their heads and saying, what's going on here? You know, and, and why is this happening? And, you know, well, I guess we don't even have to comment on that. It's self-evident at that point.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Since Jesus is the ideal of strong Catholic manhood, not the Jesus, the warm, fuzzy modern Christians make him, but the incarnate word of God. I contend that now more than ever, Catholic men need to be intensely imitating Christ by living a truly Catholic manhood. What are your thoughts
2: on that? I couldn't agree with you more, quite honestly. Uh, it's you know one when if we really look at what's going on in in the society right now, it's I and I I have to admit I didn't see this a while back because I just was watching what they were doing as they were going through and. You know, you can see the attack against women, you can see the attack against the men, but what they're really after is the children. And in order to get to the children, they knew they needed to get to the men and women because the mama bear has to be put to sleep before they can go after her kids. The dad needs to be sitting in front of the TV drinking beer and acting like a moron in order to go after his kids uh, and have him say nothing. And, and so that's what they have been doing. So you call it what you will, a dumbing down. But it's, you know, it, it's the it's it's the again, the effeminacy of men or the emasculating of men. And then nature, of course, you know, abhors a vacuum, as they say. So if men want to start acting like women, women are going to start acting like men. And it is gross, and it's disgusting, and everybody's disgusted by it, except Ken, the people in control, or the ones that run the media, and so on, they want to push all this. And then, once they've got us there, then they can go after the kids. And that's exactly what we're seeing happening. And so, it is going to require men to stand up and be men. Because the only way that a woman can truly be a woman, the way that God created her to be a woman, to be a mother, to be a wife, to be to be a lady, is if she has a man that she can lean on, that, that she knows is strong and behind her and, and and protecting her. And that's not putting her down at all. That's to say, let a woman be feminine. But the only way a woman can be feminine is if a man is masculine. Be who God created you to be. Real men don't put women down. When real men recognize the dignity of women, they recognize the the genius of women, they recognize the beauty of women, they recognize all these beautiful things about women, and they will protect that, and they will promote that because they see the goodness of it. And, and, but that's, in order to do that, you have to be comfortable in your own skin. You have to be comfortable with what it is to be a man and to stand up and, and be a real man. And, and so what exactly does that mean? My favorite way of putting it is, yes, I heard a priest years ago say to be a priest is to be a Christian gentleman in every meaning of both of those words and i would say that about any catholic man you yeah, know and it is even to break up gentlemen you need to be gentle you need to be a man if it's too gentle it becomes effeminate if it's too much of a man it's machismo nobody's impressed by mr machismo you yeah, know we need gentle men that's what jesus was that's what saint joseph was and yet at the same time they were strong they were decisive they were clear they were leaders they protected their bride, the, and Jesus died for his bride, the church, and 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 that's what a real man is going to do. He is going to stand up. He is going to lay down his life for the people he loves, and and he's not going to back down from the truth. And that's what we see. We can look at at the uh, at at the, the prophets of the Old Testament that God called. We can look at Saint John the Baptist. We can look ultimately at what the apostles did and what the saints have done over the years, but. It is our Lord himself on the cross who shows us what real, true manhood is about. He became a man for a reason. And, well, a lot of reasons, but but one of those reasons is, I think, to show us what it really means to be a man. You know, when when we look at it and say, okay, God created Eve from Adam and God created the church from the open side of Christ and that church becomes his bride, that is where he shows his manhood in its fullness. And that's what Catholic men need to recognize. What does it mean to be truly masculine? What does it mean? Again, it goes back to that point you made earlier, the sacred heart. You know, men have to know the love of their heart. And 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 that needs to be focused in the proper way. First and foremost to, foremost toward God, secondly toward your wife and to, to your children and to the people around you. You know, but so it's it's there. There has to be that 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 heart. There has to be that love, but it needs to be in a masculine way. It can't be in this feminine, gushy, sloppy nonsense. That's that's just gross. That's yeah. But but we need to have again real men showing, as Jesus did, what real love looks like. To love someone is to do what's the best. It's to lay down your life for those people. It's to die to self and live for them. That's not what our society teaches. Our society is about selfishness, and and but Jesus is just the opposite. That's the example that we need to have.
1: When I was growing up, I always, and this was an excellent example to learn from, I always saw men open doors for ladies. You almost never see that now. No. Now, no. Until I could no longer open doors for ladies because of the stroke, I always did. I insisted. I had a lady actually cuss me out for doing that one time. Well, I told her, I said, ma'am, if I don't open this door for you, all of my ancestors are going to come up out the grave and get me. (laughs) But that's part of being the gentleman you were talking about. Exactly. Because you're acknowledging the femininity of womanhood.
2: Right. Right. Not I mean, because she isn't strong enough to open the door. So I had that same thing. Some woman said to me, I can do that myself. I said, I didn't have a doubt that you could do that yourself. The question is, are you enough of a lady to allow somebody to do it for you? And, you know, then she walked through the door. And so, <laughs> but, but that's, you know, that, that's where our problem has come in. Again, you know, we've tried to, to tell women that, you know, they, they have to, well, they have to stop being women. They have to stop being feminine. They have to be masculine. And, and that's that's just not been good. So until men stand up and fill that gap and start being masculine and being real men, the women aren't going to be able to be real women. And that's what we want. We need real women to raise our children and real men to raise our children and to help one another to become who God created them to be as men and women. And that's, that's going to be our only hope moving forward. And, and that's the foundation for everything else.
1: Father, you're right on target there, and I think a large part of this involves catechesis for the laity. They're really ignorant of the faith, and the best way to learn to become a true man or a true woman is to learn and live the faith. But you can't live what you don't know, and I'm constantly telling six-pack warriors that their two primary obligations, the obligations that will determine their eternal destiny, are to do their level best to become a saint and to share the faith. I'm assuming you agree with that.
2: Yeah, the church is very clear that the salvation of our own soul is our, prim- our first first objective, our primary purpose. That's what we have to be about. And then we have to bring as many people together to heaven as we can. And the only way we're going to do that is if we can show them the truth and the love of our Lord. And, and so it is, it is absolutely essential that, you know, that, that people learn their, their faith. But it is even more so that they live it. I, I very frequently remind the people in, in the pews that look, on the day that we stand before our Lord for judgment, it is not going to be a catechism test. Yeah. It's, because I, I said Satan can answer all the answers in the catechism. you know it's it's if it's just about what's the answer, well, the devil knows that. so it's a matter of we we have to know it like you said you, you you can't live what you don't know and and so you have to know, but then it has to get into the heart and it has to be lived and and that's what we're going to be able to to show to others you know the 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 great uh, quote that Saint Francis. Uh, supposedly had said to, to that the, the little friar is you know to to preach always and when necessary use words and and so it's the example that will speak louder than your words and people will see if you are truly living your faith people will see it and I can tell you from examples I you know one of my closest friends uh, is, is a nurse and uh, and I remember. When she first started uh, working at, at this, this hospital, uh, nobody wanted to talk to her. And, and I said, here's what's going to happen. I said, they can see that you're different from everybody else. And of course, because of the peer pressure, they don't want to talk to you. And, but I said, when they're in trouble, they're going to come to you. And as soon as the trouble's over, then they won't talk to you again. And, and sure enough, over the years, that's exactly what's happened, you know, and, and she's you know she's adjusted to it and recognized what's going on but initially it was really hard you know she's alone she's you know feeling shunned and so on but once she could understand that's that's what it was you know you're different if you have a prayer life you're different if you are truly living your faith you're different if you're being truly charitable not just going through the motions but but that's truly from the heart and the charity is is coming through you that's People will recognize that and people will react. Some will react very negatively because they don't want anything to do with it. Most people, of course, will react positively because they're not even accustomed to being treated with the dignity that they, that they should be treated with as a human being. And, and that's what we have to be about, recognizing people's dignity, treating them with that dignity. But we can only do that if we know our own dignity first. And that can only come if we know the truth And so Amen. that's where that catechism comes from
1: Yeah, Father, I've for, for years I've been saying the same thing you said I hammer away at people needing to learn the faith Because they can't live what they don't know But once they learn the faith They need to come to the realization That Satan knows the faith better than any of us He knew it better than St. Peter Right, and uh, it doesn't do him any good. So just the knowledge is no good. You have to live what you know.
2: Exactly, it's necessary, but but there's a point in between. Saint Thomas said, "You cannot love what you do not know." So you have to know something before you can love it, and you have to love it before you're going to live it. And and so so it's it's in that order. It needs to get from the head to the heart, and from the heart to our actions, to the way that we live, the way we speak, the way we act and so on. And and the Lord said it's from the heart that all these things come forth. That uh, and and so if we want to change how we uh, what we're showing to the world, what people are hearing coming out of our mouths, then we need to change what's in the heart. We need to get the truth into the heart. We need to love the truth and again remember the truth is a person. And so we need to love the person of Jesus so that we can live
1: Jesus in the world. Absolutely. Father, the one thing I want to hammer at here, though, you have constantly said, and I do this too, we need to do this. We need to do that. Let's break it down. At least a bare minimum, 95% of Catholics today who attend Mass do not know the faith. They do not know the faith. We need to learn it. Break it down. Tell them how.
2: Well, there are a variety of, of things that are available. Uh, this is you know, one of the advantages, I guess, of, of things like the Internet. Uh, there are lots of bad things that are out there, but there are lots of good things. So, you know, you, you can look at, at a priest, for instance, uh, or, or even a, catech- a catechist who is doing good work, and it gets put up there. Maybe he's teaching a class to 30 people. Thousands of people can see it and hear it now. And, you know, you, you, so, so you just, you look at some of these different things that are going on. So we have the Catechism of the Catholic Church. We have a number of catechisms. You got to be really, really careful about, you know, there were lots of horrible catechisms that were put out between 1970 and, and, you know, well, even up to date, there are still some really bad ones, but, but there are some very good ones. And, and so, so there are some catechisms that are available. There are videos that are available uh, that, that are you know, that, that can be uh, looked at uh, in, in a variety of different places. There, there are places like EW10 always has different catechetical things that are that are being presented. But, but you can you can look things up. Uh, if you really want the truth, it's out there. And, and so, you can talk to somebody who who does know the truth. Again, you got to be really careful. I always tell people, look, if if your tooth hurts, you're not going to go over to the person at the next desk and say, well, what do you think? Do I need a root canal? You know, or you're not going to go to your mother-in-law and and ask that question. You're going to go to a dentist because you got to figure out what's wrong. Well, if you've got a theological question, unless your mother-in-law has a degree or your uh, you're the person at the next desk has, has a background to be able to answer your question. It's just going to be shared ignorance. And, and we don't need that. We've got enough ignorance out there already. And, and so we need the truth and, and we need to be willing to ask somebody who can tell you the truth, who can back it up, who can show you where you can find it. You know, or, you know, so, so there, there are differing ways of, of approaching it, but definitely everybody should have read the catechism. Uh, and, and again, depending on how you learn, some people, it's easier to learn visually. Then again, there are catechetical series that are out that, that you can watch. Um, there are the catechisms you can read and there are people that you can ask. So there are lots of ways that, that, that you can approach this and, and, and be able to learn.
1: This is a great time for a little commercial here, Father. Six-back warriors. Every single week, I host a free webinar, Teaching the Faith. I do it from front to back. We take a break, then I start all over again. I've been doing this for several years. Go to my show notes below this episode and click on the link that says I want to learn more about my Catholic faith. Then sign up. You'll get a free email course of the faith In your inbox every three days, you'll get invitations to these weekly webinars. And if that's not good enough, I have a book titled Secrets of the Catholic Faith on my website, It's my book. I wrote it, so go ahead and get that. Father, you just gave me an excellent opportunity for a commercial there.
2: Well, that that wasn't (laughs) intentional, but praise the Lord. Like I said, there are lots of ways of getting the truth out there, so
1: good deal. Bottom line, I think, if Catholics will not take the time to learn their faith, they really don't give a damn, and I use that word the way it's meant, they don't give a damn about their own souls. Would you agree? I would agree, and and remember
2: that the church is very clear that we have an obligation to learn the faith, and and so this isn't just you know well you know should I or shouldn't I, you know I often when I get done teaching the classes I tell the people well you're now far more uh you're you're far more responsible now uh, for anything that you do because you can't claim that well I didn't know because now you do. And I said, but you might say, well, gee, I shouldn't have taken these classes because now now I'm more responsible than I was. I said, no, because remember, the church says you have to learn. And so you you have an obligation to learn your faith, and then you have an obligation to, to practice it.
1: Amen. And one thing I want to throw in there, I get a lot of things from people saying the church doesn't teach this anymore, doesn't teach that anymore. I've got news for you, folks. If it's truth, it will always be taught. That's why Paul said that Jesus Christ is the same today, yesterday, and forever. Truth is immutable. So just because you don't hear something taught doesn't mean it's not taught. So I'm I have, sorry I had to throw that in, it. No, but
2: you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I remember when I was first ordained, I, I had given a talk or a homily on uh, on purgatory and people were coming up afterward and said, "Oh, I haven't heard a homily on purgatory for over thirty years." And you know, I didn't think we we believed that anymore. It's like, oh no, it's an infallible teaching. We still believe that. Nothing has changed. You know, so like I said, just because you haven't heard it doesn't necessarily mean it isn't true.
1: Yeah, and people get really upset when when I talk about contraception. You never hear about it, right. but <laughs> right. However, that's yeah. uh, you know.
2: That's, it's the truth, and and quite honestly, it's, it's the biggest problem in marriage today.
1: It is. It is. The, uh, Catholic divorce rate soared after the introduction of the pill. I mean, there's, there, it's a little difficult to deny that correlation. So, well, Father, I know you always run a hot clock, and I've certainly taken you longer than I intended to today. Uh, so I guess maybe we ought to go ahead and say goodbye. I really appreciate you being on the show. What do you, uh, what do you think about maybe coming back at some point in the future?
2: If it works out, I'd always be happy to be on. I like what you're doing and
1: and I, I, I wholeheartedly endorse it. Thank you, Father. I, you're, well, you're one of my favorite priests in the world. Uh, I was telling my wife today, the very best priest I ever knew, who was the priest who received me into the church, and the man was a living saint. I could tell all kind of stories, and I told her today that Father Altier is Father Killian with a higher, higher intellect. intellect. <laughs> You're very kind,
2: but uh, have a long, long way to go.
1: Okay, Father. We'll go ahead and sign off. You take care of yourself. Well, God bless you. Thank you. God
2: bless everybody out there in the Six Pack Nation.
1: Okay. okay. Bye bye. Bye. I think you'll agree that Father Altier hit the ball out of the park in this interview. The one thing that always impresses me when speaking to him is that Father has a way of conveying truth with a humility that tells you he won't compromise that truth, while at the same time letting you know that he's willing to love you into heaven with Catholic truth. Father Altier has been commanded by his Lavender Mafia Archbishop to stop writing and preaching online. That's what happens to a good priest when the Lavender Mafia can't seem to find a way to cancel him in the first place. But there are many other sources to hear and read what Father Altier does. These are great sources, so go to CantankerousCatholic.com and click on this episode. Below the podcast player are my show notes. There you'll find some good Father Robert Altier's sources. And don't forget to make your comments on this episode below the show notes. While you're on my website, go to the Swag page and order your Toxic Mail Month coffee mugs and t-shirts to help promote Toxic Mail Month. Also, as a source for learning the faith better, my book, Secrets of the Catholic Faith, was mentioned in this interview. Be sure to get a copy for yourself. In episode 180, we'll be talking with Michael Voris. Don't miss it. If you're taking any prescription medication to control diabetes, or even pre-diabetes, new studies from Italy and New Zealand show that type 2 diabetes and pre-diabetes can be managed or possibly even reversed, if you know how. While most medications can keep the symptoms of diabetes at bay, they don't actually treat the root cause of the problem. So before you resign yourself to being hooked on medication for life, you've got to see a video about glucofort. The link is in my show notes. I've been taking glucofort for two months and it's had a dramatic effect on my blood sugar number. My primary care physician is amazed. So do what I did. Watch the video, then order the package of all-natural glucofort that's right for you by clicking the glucofort link in my show notes. I am hard, but I am fair!
0: It's time for the Catholic Boot Camp with your Drill Sergeant, Joe Sixpack the Every Catholic Guy. Learn the Catholic faith and how to defend it like you've never heard it before. This boot camp is tough, so there's no political correctness, no spirit of Vatican II, and no namby-pamby platitudes. Drill Sergeant Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy, will prepare you for spiritual war. Now here's Joe Sixpack.
1: This week, I'd like to tell you the stories of two painters. The first story is one I couldn't verify for veracity, but it's a great story nonetheless. The second story is certainly a true one of Leonardo da Vinci. Both stories apply well to this week's topic. There was once a French artist who had been commissioned to paint a picture of the crucifixion for the Cathedral of Notre Dame. He spent more than a year working on this painting. He hired a poor young French woman from the streets to pose the figure of Mary Magdalene. When she came to the studio for the first time, the still unfinished painting caught her eye and her fancy. She was so interested and asked so many questions that the painter found it impossible to paint her into the scene. She kept asking question after question. Who is he? What has he done? Why does he have to suffer so? Why did they nail him to a cross? Realizing that he couldn't go on until the girl knew the entire story, he said, I'll tell you the whole story, but then you must promise to stop talking and look at me while I'm trying to paint. As briefly as possible, he told her the story of the crucifixion. She hung on his every word, and when he finished, she asked with tears in her eyes, He do that for you? And did he do that for me? Yes, replied the painter, he did it for you and me, for all of us, because all of us have committed sin. Oh, she exclaimed, if he's done that for me, I always want to love him. And how you must love him because you've known the story for so long. Long after she left, the girl's words continued to ring in his ears. How you must love him because you have known the story for so long. For the first time in his life, he realized how terrible sin really is and how great is the love of our Redeemer. This story of the unnamed artist reminds us that we've all committed actual sin. Jesus died because he loves us, and he doesn't want us to suffer the consequences of our sin. We don't love him nearly enough for the length of time we've known the story. How we should hate every willful thought, desire, word, action, or omission forbidden by the laws of God. How deeply we should learn to love Jesus in return for what he's done for us. There are countless stories of men who went to war and threw themselves on live grenades to save their comrades in arms, or otherwise sacrificed their lives to save their buddies. A survivor returns home with a deep love and devotion to the fallen hero, spending the rest of his life feeling guilty for having returned to loved ones when the man who gave his life for him couldn't do the same. If veteran soldiers can feel that way about the sacrifice of a mere man, why is it we can't feel that way about Christ's sacrifice for us? Look at the crucifix. The young woman in this story reminds us of how we should feel about Jesus' sacrifice for us, yet we take him for granted nearly every day of our lives. We're all familiar with Leonardo da Vinci's great painting called The Last Supper. Da Vinci spent years painting this most reverend work of art. He used a man named Pietro Bandolini as his model for Christ. He'd found Bandolini in the choir of the Cathedral of Milan. Da Vinci admired the young man's face because of its beauty, innocence, and kindness, all of which came from Mandolini's deeply religious and noble character. The image of Jesus in The Last Supper is a masterpiece. Years after painting Jesus, when he was nearly finished with the painting, he had but one character left to paint, Judas Iscariot the traitor. One day he met a man on the streets of Rome who would be up Perfect model for Judas. The man was incredibly ugly, with evil and greed written all over his face. When they got to the studio and da Vinci began painting this horrible face, he suddenly stepped away from the canvas in surprise, and his brush dropped from his hand. He recognized the lines in the man's face and asked, Haven't I seen you somewhere before? Yes, replied the ugly man. You've painted me before. I'm Pietro Bandolini. For whatever reason, Bandolini turned from the deep piety of his youth to a life of sin. Chronic mortal sin changed the man's appearance from the face of innocence to one of evil and greed. Mortal sin is its own punishment because it brings sadness, sorrow, and misery into our lives. It does indeed make bad changes in our appearance, but that's nothing compared to the change it makes in our soul. I recall a girl I knew in high school. She was sweet and pretty and popular. I admit that I had a crush on her. She seemed so innocent and caring and devout in her Baptist faith. Then I saw her 38 years later. If she hadn't told me who she was, I'd have never known her. She'd had several husbands, some of her children had been born out of wedlock, and she had become coarse and crude. I suspect there was also a lot of alcohol and drug abuse as well. She didn't resemble the pretty and innocent girl of my teenage dreams at all. A life of mortal sin had changed her appearance and manner until she seemed to be the same person in name only. At our baptism, Jesus removes the stain of original sin, and if we happen to be converts baptized after having reached the age of the use of reason, the stain of all our personal sins are removed as well. This means our souls are whiter than the purest snow. But all sin, both venial and mortal, changes the appearance of our souls. Venial sin adds a grayness to our souls. Mortal sin makes them blacker than the deepest, darkest, moonless night. St. John Bosco was one of the many saints whom God would allow to see a soul as it really was. He said the souls of people who have mortal sin on them were not only black and exceedingly ugly, but that they had a stench worse than anything you could imagine. Don Bosco also said when such a person would confess to him, as he granted absolution he could see the soul return to its former baptismal purity of bright whiteness. It's bad enough that any of us should permit the grayness of our souls caused by a venial sin, a grayness that requires God's justice with the pains of purgatory. But to risk living for even one day with a mortal sin, for which God's justice requires an eternity in hell, is foolish and arrogant and prideful. We should work to avoid venial sin and the occasions of sin at every moment in our lives, but we should all develop a horror of mortal sin because not one of us is guaranteed another breath. Jesus warned us to be vigilant in how we live. In Luke 22, 19 and 20, he told us, And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? You should learn to fear sin above all else because of its effects and punishments. Here's something I'm going to shout loud and long. During the last two years, every Catholic parish and most businesses lost a ton of money because of the COVID lockdowns. Congress attempted to ease the revenue strain with the CARES Act, but it really did nothing for parishes and little for most businesses. Believe it or not, Congress is actually remedying that. They've not done a good job of getting the word out, but Congress has enhanced the ERTC portion of the CARES Act. If a parish or business has W-2 employees, part-time or full-time, they almost certainly qualify for the ERTC tax rebate. I'm working with a CPA firm that specializes in ERTC rebates to reach out to all parishes and Catholic-owned businesses I can. This is especially good for parishes with schools. All any parish or Catholic-owned business has to do is click the link in my show notes that says, ERTC Recovery, I Want My Money. Then just fill out the form on the website, and the CPA firm will determine if the parish or business qualifies. It costs nothing to get started, and the average tax rebate appears to be $150,000, So tell every priest and Catholic business owner about the expanded ERTC rebate and send them to my show notes. Remember, click the link on my show notes that says ERTC Recovery, I want my money. The Catholic Church is 2,000 years old. A lot of wisdom has gained over two millennia. Each week, we'll share some of that wisdom with a Catholic quote. So here's this week's Catholic quote. This week's Catholic quote is from St. Teresa of Avila. She said, It isn't good to let our thoughts disturb us or worry us at all. I believe a really great way to teach the faith is through stories, parables, and anecdotes. So here's today's story. One day a small boy was trying to lift a heavy stone, but it was just too heavy and wouldn't budge. His father was passing by, and he stopped to watch his son. Finally, the father said, Are you using all your strength? The discouraged boy replied, Yes, I am, Dad. The father said, no, son, you're not using all your strength. What do you mean, dad? You haven't asked me to help you. When you're attempting a task, you'd do well to stop for a moment and humbly call on God for help. This would be a fitting reminder of your dependence on God, as well as an assurance of help from him in things you'd never be able to do on your own. This has been The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every
0: Catholic guy. Thanks for subscribing and be sure to visit cantankerouscatholic.com to get your free copy of Joe's popular book, The Best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It.